Hi, welcome to Hotels 101, a podcast that delves into the lives of those who live and breathe the hotel, leisure, uh, travel industry, businesses, and uh, looking at talking to their leaders in order to understand the business a little bit better. So I'm Rob Hayes, the uh, Chief Executive Officer and President of Ashford Hospitality Trust. I'm your host, and we're here for the fourth episode of Hotels 101. So we're really excited today to have uh, what I think is hopefully our best guest ever. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Hector Sanchez, who is the CEO of Premier. So welcome, Hector. Thank you. Thanks right. a lot, Rob. Thanks a lot for having me on. No, we're glad to have you. So tell us a little bit about Premier. What do you, got, what do you guys do at Premier? Because we're on the ownership mm -hmm. side in the hotel business, but you guys are on a different side of the business. Absolutely. So Premier, um, we literally do from A to Z for a renovation, for a ground-up development, for an adaptive reuse. Uh, from A to Z, I mean, we have architects on staff, we have interior designers, we have procurement people, all the FFNU procurement, uh, project management, construction management. We also have an engineering team. Uh, so anything that you can think of that you would actually need, we do all of that in-house. We have about uh, 100 and almost 140 people at Premier right now. 140 people? Mm -hmm. So you've grown a ton over the past three, four, or five years. Yeah, so when I was brought in in 2020, uh, we were at about 34 people. So we've almost quadrupled the size of the company. And so you came in basically, if you said 2020, well then you're right then during COVID. And so what was it like joining a company right at basically the worst moment in modern history in the hotel business? You know, it, it, was, uh, it, it was interesting uh, to, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I, I came in and, you know, uh, I came in in May of 2020. And of course in, in, in March, right, everything went south, especially in the hotel business. However, I was in the oil and gas business, so there it seemed to get worse, uh, you know, a lot more often. Uh, so it wasn't, it was something that I was somewhat used to and, and to really just be able to deal in those kind of uh, challenging situations. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an interesting time to come in to a new business. There's still a lot of people that, uh, you know, were still working from home at that time. Uh, but yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely uh, challenging. So you you came from the one business that was maybe more volatile than the the lodging business. In oil you and know, gas. it's funny. I, I don't know if you remember, what, but when you guys interviewed for me, me for the job, you know, one of the things that 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 uh, actually Monty, our chairman, mentioned was that it was you know it could probably be the reason I should join hospitality was because the only business that was worse than our business at that time was actually oil and oil and gas. <laughs> right? They had just gone into the negatives, right? Uh, barrel of oil was negative. So they're like literally paying people to keep the barrels of oil and not deliver them. So, uh, so yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely interesting. So tell us a little bit about your, your, your background, your family and where, where are you from originally? So I am originally, I was born in Mexico. I was raised in Houston since about the age of, I don't know, six and then I guess seven, eight. Um, you know, my mom is Mexican. Um, my wife is Colombian. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, I always think it's funny because I feel like all these different countries, uh, like nobody actually claims me, right? So in the U.S., <laughs> they know that I'm not from the U.S., even though I was raised here. When I travel to Mexico, they know that I'm, they think that I'm not Mexican because they can tell that I wasn't raised in Mexico. And then, of course, I go to Colombia, 
right, with my wife and my daughters. And, of course, once again, they know that I'm not Colombian. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just hoping that somebody will take me in, but I haven't, uh, haven't found that country yet. All right, so I was at a, uh, an event a few months ago that you were at, and as part of that event, you partook in a Hot Ones competition Yes. where I watched you eat 10 wings of which increasingly, you know, those have seen mm -hmm. that podcast, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And it was pretty impressive. Now, you were sweating pretty badly when- I mean, uh, I, I after, wouldn't say it was pretty bad. By the end, you say, were kind of sweaty. Uh, but I came in and I tasted one maybe about halfway through, mm -hmm. and I thought my tongue was going to fall off. And you kept going. So are you a spicy food eater? Was that some of the hottest you've ever had? Or do you- is that a, a regular thing for you? Um, so yes, I do like spicy food, right? And being Mexican, uh, even though I grew up in Texas, you learn to eat spicy food. Uh, has it been the hottest that I've ever had? Probably not. It was like a million Scoville sort of. Yeah, no, it was end. definitely very, very, very spicy. Uh, you know, the thing is that they were asking me, would you actually order these if you were not doing this hot ones? Um, you know, the thing that we did. And, you know, I would say to about level seven, I would have probably still ordered it and enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, but eight, nine, and 10, those were pretty miserable. I think I just ate them just because I'm a slightly competitive person. And I'm just, I think like most folks, maybe a little bit prideful that I didn't want to not eat it. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I did not enjoy eight, nine, and 10 for sure. So, all right, so you just mentioned you, that you're competitive. And as I've known you the last few years, I would probably concur that you seem to be fairly competitive. How do you see that as a benefit to what you do in your role? And then are there times you see it as a weakness or something that gets in the way? Um, I think the way I see it as a benefit, um, I feel like in every situation, right, even just coming in right, right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, I was one of the main reasons why you guys brought me in was because you guys really wanted for me to grow our third party business, right? Premier at that point had never done third party business, right? So here you have an organization that has done some amazing projects, right? Amazing projects for, your, mm -hmm. for yourself. And then at that point, immersive projects for, for Richard Stockton, CEO of Braemar as well. And um, you have an organization that does this amazing work, but the rest of the world hasn't seen it, right? And, and we were, tasked with trying to grow that in the middle of the pandemic, customers won't see you, right? Uh, we're new, nobody even knows who in the world Premier is and what we do. No one even realized that we did this for Ashford. Um, and, and you know, and it just gives you the attitude of no matter what, there's always a way, right? And you're gonna keep pushing and uh, you're gonna try to outwork people. And, and, uh, and I think that's the part where it's probably a good thing uh, where you're just not going to take no for an answer and you're going to keep pushing the limits on things. And I feel like that's, that's probably the area where it's been a good thing, right, in my life. Uh, the area that, that I would say it's probably not, um, it, it's, you know, we used to, uh, a few years ago, we used to hang out with, uh, you know, we had friends, of course, believe it or not, I actually have friends outside of work. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we used to have, uh, we used to hang out with couples, right? And, it always ended up where we would do a board game or something, right? And it was always the men versus the women for whatever reason. 
Well, let's just say after all those times, it didn't really go well for me at home, right? At home. There were consequences. Or, <laughs> there was definitely consequences. <laughs> so in that, in, in, in that scenario, being competitive is, is not, you know, winning is not about winning on the game. It's about looking at the big picture and winning overall. And I was definitely losing. There's winning <laughs> and then there's winning and then you still lose. Uh, that was definitely me losing. And I did it again. And again and again, I just couldn't quite help myself. I remember, you know, about three weeks ago. No, it was probably a few months ago. The team at Premier in Ashford as well, they started uh, playing soccer, right? Uh, like every month, they, they would start playing soccer games. So they invited me to this thing. So I would go. So uh, in one of those times, uh, it was actually last year when my family went off to Colombia for a few weeks. So that's where my wife is from with my daughters. And I was in the attic. And I was coming back down from the attic, uh, and you know those stairs. Oh yeah, right? they're hard. They're, they're hard, right? They're and, I'm, thin and, and I'm and I'm kind of walking with this big box. Long story short, I fall, and I'm about this high still. But I, when I fell, I landed standing. How? I'm not sure. I think because my two box was in my back, so my foot was hurting very bad. But I told myself, and the game was that night. I said, I'm still gonna go, but I'm just gonna play. Uh, you know, I'm just gonna play goalie. You know, just sit and go and not play. Well, that's all good and dandy till we start losing. And I feel like I can do more. So I started <laughs> pushing myself. And then I couldn't really walk for about the next week because I was hurt and I was still playing. So that's another time where it just well, backfired. you're getting old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely that part. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that uh, in your business, so Premier, who's doing these you know, sometimes rebrands or big renovations, mm -hmm. design work, architecture, all these things in, in hotels, uh, and some other property types as we'll talk about maybe here in a second. But uh, those are projects that maybe people don't get to see or don't know that you all are doing them. Do you have any that you are particularly proud of? You know, if somebody walked into a property and you said, this, this is what Premier can do. What, what's that project? What's that property? Um, it's hard for me to pick one. I can probably pick a couple. Um, Renaissance Nashville. Now that's the one I was going to recommend. If you didn't say it, I was going to say it. No, to me, that is incredible, right? What the team did there is just short of amazing, right? When you look at the before and after pictures, and, and, and that's sometimes the difficult part, right? You go into a hotel and you think it's a beautiful hotel, but it's not really till you understand what it used to look like that really helps you appreciate what you're looking at. And to me, what they did, the creativity around that, like I, you could literally give me a thousand years to come up with one of those themes that they came up with. And I just couldn't do it. So to me, that's one. Another one that comes to mind is St. Thomas, right? We've, we've obviously won a lot of awards there. That's uh, the Ritz Carlton. Yes, that is correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the Ritz Carlton and St. Thomas, Hurricane Irma came, uh, just very, very proud of the team of what they were able to do, uh, on that one, right? Very, very quickly. We got it up and running, opened it again in 19 and it's transformational, right? The way it used to look, before, right, before in, in 17 to the way it looks now, it's it's awesome. The team did a, an amazing job there. So I had a, a, an investor event at our Renaissance in Nashville uh, a few weeks ago, and that was part of what we showed was what this hotel, because Asher Trust bought it in 2010, I think, mm -hmm. and it got renovated in 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. And looking at the before pictures, and they had things like big red railings, like fire engine red, red railings. And, um, and then looking at what that property looks like now, I think it's the best meeting space 
that exists anywhere. I agree. In any property I've ever been to. Yeah, like I said, like just the creativity, right? They have that the container. Oh yeah. Right, that they convert it into a bar. Like give me twenty thousand years and I would <laughs> never think of doing I heard they had like to literally that, right? like have a crane yeah, drop that drop shipping it in. container. Yeah, they didn't go into the front door. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing what the team has done there. So then to uh, I guess to an earlier point that I was at least highlighting is that you guys also though don't just do hospitality. As you you came in, you've been trying to expand out a broader customer base, other third parties that you work with, but then you've also broadened out to even outside of hotels. So what's what's yes. the story there? Absolutely. So you know, so I it came in 2020 as you remember, Rob, because I actually interviewed with you. Um, you know, the, the big ask there was we need to diversify our business and we need to grow, right? And we need to, we, we, we need to uh, go out and, and show the world uh, what Premier can do, right? And make that readily available to a lot of other ownership groups. So as soon as we got into it, right, it's the middle of the pandemic. Uh, obviously, CapEx is on hold, right? There's a lot of deferred maintenance uh, from many hotel owners. Um, and, and, you know, so we're sitting there, we have a strategy meeting, okay, about what asset classes are we going to go after, right? And it became very, very apparent to, to me and to the rest of, of my team that multifamily was the place to be for a couple of different reasons, right? Number one, it is the most similar to a hotel, right? I think in the last uh, few years, right, it's about, and I think you would agree, it's about creating experiences, mm -hmm. right? And, and, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, multifamily guests want the same level of amenities and the same type of amenities that a lot of times traditionally you can only find in a hotel. Well, now you're seeing a lot of those amenities in, you know, especially kind of a, a you know, a, a high-end residential, right, multifamily. So that was one. Um, and then number two, when you looked at during the pandemic, you know, what that asset class did, right? You remember what happened in hospitality. It was, it was terrible. And you look at that asset class, and I remember looking at some data where the, the occupancy went from 96.5%. Why? I'll take a step back. I remember I'm visiting a customer uh, and we're in the Northeast and he's sitting there complaining and, and very upset that his occupancy has really decreased. So I literally I had to ask, right? Like, what is it? And I think it had gone from 96% to 92. And I'm like, I know Have you talked to any hotel owners. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm like I'm like people would kill for that. Give me give me 60, 50. You know what? I'll take 40. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'll probably you know what? Let's just yeah. agree to take yeah. 30. Yeah. Right. So so that was kind of uh, the mentality. So it was just it was a no brainer. Uh, a lot of our team actually had multifamily experience. Um, so, yeah, it was just a no brainer. We felt that we could add a lot of value there. Uh, and, you know, and fast forward three years, right, from when we had no business outside of Ashford, uh, you know, last time I checked, we had 72 contracts signed outside of Ashford. So 72 contracts that we have signed so far and about 30, I think it's 37 of them are actually in multifamily. Mm -hmm. So half of them are multifamily and, you know, a little bit more than half are in hospitality. And we also have a couple in, in student housing as well. Gotcha. All right. So we're going back to a little more personal question. So those few moments when you're out of the office, uh, what are you, how are you spending your time? Do you, do you have something that you're particularly passionate about, a hobby? What, what makes you kind of sing outside of the office? I mean, I, I know 
probably a lot of people say this, but to me, honestly, it's my family, right? My, my, uh, my girls, I have two daughters, me and Victoria, one is four, the other one's six. Uh, and then my wife, right? I spend, as you quite aware in these roles, you give up a lot, right? And you sacrifice a lot, right? Work-related. So I have a thing where like Monday through Thursday, really, I will literally live in the office. I am there, I get there very early and I leave extremely late. But then on Friday, I try to make it home early. And then Saturday and Sunday, I, I not only try to be at home, I try to be there like mentally and physically, right? Uh, so, so that's really what I do. Another thing that I actually enjoy doing that I don't live, that I don't do honestly because, um, because it's, it's, it would take time away from my family is I actually really like playing golf. Uh, not very good because I play probably two to three times a year in some type of customer or investor event of some sort. But that, those are the things that I enjoy. And then of course, and I like going to the gym. I do that every morning, but that's just kind of part of my routine. I wouldn't say that for fun anymore. Just to stay sane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so a few years ago, so I, I spent some time reading about you before the interview. And oh God, I found, I know, so I found, <laughs> I found an interview that you did with Medium Magazine. Uh-huh. like two years ago okay all right and it had you probably know more about me about that interview so at this point. i and in there i thought it was actually a very interesting question the question was something like what were five things that uh you wish you had known or that you wish someone had told you prior to becoming a ceo and the one that particularly jumped out at me was a comment that it said um that someone had told you that it's lonely at the top that is correct. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And how do you handle that? Because there's something about trying to run a business, trying to run a company, and people um, people many times want to be a CEO. They want to lead a company. They, they, they think there's maybe prestige or notoriety or whatever comes with it. But as you mentioned earlier, the time, uh, requirements necessary to it. Um, there's also tons of stress. Things are always going wrong. You're dealing with problems constantly. Um, and so as a result, you know, sometimes it's hard. And, um, and so I, I noted that and I wanted, I thought it'd be interesting for you to comment on, you know, what, what does it mean to be lonely at the top? And, and so therefore, what do you do about it? Well, I think, you know, Robin, I'm sure you can relate, right? As you're moving up, you know, in, the, in any organization, uh, you have a lot of peers that you can talk to. Uh, you have a lot of mentors, right? That, uh, that, that, that you can talk to and you can, uh, rely on. Um, and, and there's a lot of people that have been in your situation, right? Uh, the little bit higher you move up the organization, there's problems that there's not a lot of people that have dealt with it. So it's harder for you to uh, potentially confide in certain people because a lot of that information as well is confidential, right? So there's not like I can't just walk into you know, one of uh, my COO or my chief commercial officer and go in there and talk to them about certain things because certain things as well, it's our job to shelter them from them so they're not stressed out and they can actually do their job, right? And they're not stressed out about things they don't have a heck of a lot of control over. Um, it, you know, so, so that, that's really what I meant that it just gets, it, it gets, uh, it, it's hard for you to find sometimes those, that group of people, right? Because they're ultimately looking at you to have a lot of the answers. Right. Uh, one thing, however, that I have learned, right, I would say in the last two years, you have to continue to surround yourself with other leaders 
and uh, potentially whether they're in your organization or outside the organization that you can rely on, right? And I've had those leaders, right? There's a, a guy, he was actually my old boss, Mike Reeves, uh, uh, really, really, really excellent person, excellent human being, and he's also CEO of a publicly traded company. And you know, a lot of times I might just reach out to him about certain situations that I don't know how to handle. Uh, or I've gone to your office at times, or, or Rich, or other people, right? But it, And that's just what I mean. It gets a little bit more difficult on the resources that you can reach out to. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. It's and it's hard. I mean, it's you you obviously as as a leader in a company, there's certain benefits that come, right? You get yeah. compensated more, you know, aggressively and nicely. You get um, a certain amount of prestige that comes with it. Um, but there's there's a lot there's a lot of downside that comes with it because the buck rests with you, and you also get blamed and. You've got a lot time times, constraints. A lot of times you end up, you know, I've always said, right, uh, that the more you move up in the organization, the less control you actually have. Right? You have least amount of control because you're hoping that what you told that person and that person relate to that team member and that person relate to that team member, however many levels there is to the person, as I always say, that actually matters, that actually has to execute on this. You're hoping that <laughs> that, that that it doesn't get lost in translation somewhere along yeah. the line and it doesn't become this when you really want it this um so, so yeah it's just you know when you were an individual contributor it was great because yeah. you just did your job you did a very good job and if someone asked you for something you did it you did it on time you did it more than on time you went on and beyond and it was great kind of the buck started with you and ended with you and as you move up as you know a lot of times i'm getting calls for things that i'm like what what did, what did somebody do right you now and i'm Sometimes at times I'm not familiar with even what I'm being blamed for, but it's ultimately my responsibility <laughs> exactly. because I'm in charge. Yep, that's how it works. All right, a couple more questions. Uh, what does success look like at Premier for the next few years? Right, if you're if we're having this conversation two, three, four, five years mm -hmm. from now, what's 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 the vision of you want that you want Premier to to be? Um, I think we have to. Um, continue to uh, aggressively just grow our third-party business. With that said, I think we need to do it, um, I'm gonna make up a word because I don't think it's a word, smartly. <laughs> I think it's a word, uh, smartly oh, There a, you go, okay, perfect, I'm not a, just made it up. Um, so, so, so to me, I think we have to be smart about it. Uh, it. It's a place where people are excited to work there. To me, that's very, very important, right? I feel that if we, if, if, if we hire correctly, we train, our, our, our staff, uh, then I think we'll ultimately end up having a very, very successful company, right? I think if we can minimize the amount of work total, 100% of our work that comes from the Ashford companies, right? To me, that's success. And I think if we continue to strive to diversify, even just outside of hospitality, to me, I think that's, that, that, that would be a successful outcome okay. on that front. All right, last question. So, you're uh, you're now kind of in tangentially in the hotel business. Do you have a favorite hotel that either you've visited, that you like to revisit, or one that you know about that you like to go? But like you've got, you're you're dying in 48 hours. You have one night in a hotel. Where are you gonna go? You know, it's probably going to be the Renaissance because once again, to me, I walk in that place and I just know how much hard work the team put into that. 
and uh, it, it, it's, I'm probably going to go with the Renaissance of Nashville. And it's right. also it's like what I'm gonna one block from every honky tonk and bar. I mean, that's you can not, have a good that, time. That, that is not the reason why. You know, that <laughs> hotel could literally be in the middle of nowhere, and I would still probably not go there, but but maybe, yeah. right? So yeah, and it's all obviously in an awesome city. So yeah, I did. Like I said, I was there a few weeks ago, and it's it's hopping. Like that's a great example of a market that you know, six, seven, eight years ago, people did not think was kind of a quote unquote institutional quality market. You know, it wasn't LA or New York or Boston, but uh, has really grown up and and, uh, I, and that hotel's transformation is probably a, a decent piece of, of the, like what's transformed in that central business district there. So it is. So well done to, awesome. to Premier because it's it's probably the biggest transformation I've, I've seen in a property before, so. Mm -hmm. anyway. All right, well, Hector, thanks for coming. Well, thanks a lot, Rob. Thanks yeah. a lot for having me. Right. And would you agree now that this is probably the best? Oh, you're definitely the best. Okay, great. Right. That's, good, that's good. an easy one. Just want to make sure and get it out. No, that was great. <laughs> um, so thanks, everybody. Thanks for the uh, coming to the fourth episode of Hotels 101. And uh, we will uh, be ready to uh, meet you guys again in hopefully another month. And uh, have a great day, and we'll talk soon. Thank you.